Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Pounds, pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the her in Herzog. Oh, is this the direction we're going? We're going a direction. $10 oh, okay. says, $10 says, once I get started, you'll know. But that's okay. That's okay. Okay. We're going to okay. make, we're going to make it through this. My name's Summer Yeager. I'm here with my beautiful co-host Joy and, um, I have to tell you, you know how you've like shared with me little like sayings that Texans get wrong because you're married to a Texan? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have one that my seven-year-old got wrong because she's seven. And it was so great. And I also kind of already told you this, but I couldn't remember why it was happening. But now I remember my seven-year-old yelled... Tickle me tender. <laughs> and I was like, this was nobody was tickling her. Nobody was around. And I don't know why she said tickle me tender. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, you know, like the thing that pirates say. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? What do pirates oh, no. say? And she said, they say tickle me tender. And then thankfully my 13-year-old piped in. She goes, it's shiver me timbers. <laughs> shiver me timbers. Aww. All this time, my sweet, sweet Janny has thought that pirates yell tickle me tender. <laughs> yeah yeah I feel like we've all we've all had those moments <laughs> where we realize well the best case scenario is someone just says something and internally you get to go oh I've had that wrong oh that's so embarrassing I've had that wrong for a long time and no one ever knows <laughs> and uh obviously there's another case scenario where you find out very publicly because you get it you wrong yell it publicly <laughs> in a room full of people you tell them to tickle you tender <laughs> <laughs> anyway that really um that really just made my day that she thought that uh and that's it that's it that's all that's all the funny thing i had to tell you oh except for this email that's right I want to shout out this email that I got from Sean C. Snodgrass, um, who called me out really big time. And for some rude reason, Sean C. is listening to our podcast as we put it out. But she's also listening to our podcast through 2020. Apparently, she's in 2020 as well. Whoever we were in 2020. And yeah. so she emailed and she said, 
I recently listened to your 2020 recommends episode. You gave me a good laugh because you were talking about your dislike for your husband watching alone. And now you love alone and you talk about it all the time. That's all. Thanks for the laugh. Sean C. <laughs> That's so funny. She How like, we really called me out. Yeah. Yeah. She hardcore called me out on that one. Yeah. Um, and it just really was a special Shauncey, I see you, I hear you. And yeah, I guess um I guess I've changed a lot since 2020. Yeah, it's you know, it's not terribly often that you see a summer changing her mind in the wild. So that's probably why she was like, Oh I gotta let her know. I saw it. <laughs> Chauncey's not wrong. She's just not wrong about that. That's pretty much all I watch now is the show alone. So <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, okay, well, um, yeah. What did you we, did you even say your name? Yeah, did I said my name. That? I said okay. your name. Oh, good. I said Chauncey's name. We, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've all been introduced this week. <laughs> yep. Here we are. Just a couple of Here friends hanging out. I was going to tell everyone um, book club is just blowing my mind. I'm scared. I'm scared to do more fiction if we decide to do that because uh, I don't know. These women are just, I don't know. We're like, we do, do we attract lit lit literature critics or something? Um, (laughs) I guess so. I guess so. Well, that's probably, it's we could probably give a little credit to the authors that we've read in book club that are making everybody think <laughs> we're these <laughs> like highbrow <laughs> yeah no the it just you guys are um it's just been really i'm so glad i'm reading this book in this in this group, I think is the update. And maybe I said that already last week. Maybe I did, but I just feel like I'm getting a lot out of it way more than if I read it on my own. Let me just put it that way. Like 100% no doubt way more than if I did it on my own. That's what I know. Yeah. I'm like, I think we're just gonna, I I mean, let's just keep doing fiction. (laughs) I'm excited. I know I'm into it. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, I guess it's just good to know we can do a mix of, of both. Cause that legitimately, cause sometimes, so sometimes we're really, we kind of plan it out. We try to look into the future and we like, we need something a little light and easy to get through. And that's usually when we pick, pick a book like fair sunshine, which will just demolish your soul. Um, but I feel like maybe a little safer. <laughs> it just gives us more options. And, and, you know, honestly, let's just see what we can see what we're capable of. Yeah. It's definitely not going to be Tolstoy next. I can tell you that much, but we're having a great time in book club <laughs> is the moral of the story. And um, a lot of really astute readers are making it a really great time. So uh, you can join book club. That's at patreon.com slash theologians. Um, and leave us a voicemail at 470-465-0475. And, um, I'm going to tell you a story 
And uh, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing about this story is that I know you know it. Um, well, I guess I don't know that you know it. I think you know it. But I'm going to tell you the story of a German 17-year-old who uh, fell uh, two miles to the ground from an airplane and survived to tell the tale. Um, so let me just back up a little bit because this story is crazy. I was like... <laughs> this story is crazy. I don't us- you don't usually hear... Um falls being described in miles so i was like <laughs> fell two, two miles mi- i was like oh <laughs> miles out of the sky um this is a survival story and it just goes along with um how much alone i watch and i'm becoming you know i know all the things about survival so from from just reading about it not from my actual day-to-day life because i that's not me that's not me you posted a picture of a snake today and it wasn't cute and I just I saw it again today you wait what I saw it again today the snake you saw it again Mm -hmm. what are you gonna do about it nothing why it's fine it's not it's not harmful it is how do you know that well we tried to catch it today but not to like kill it or anything to do what with it I was getting the hose I was getting the hose and I just turned around and I was like oh hi and then he just sat there. And then when Matthew tried to catch it, it slithered off. Okay. So I'm going to back up a little bit because I think it's really cool. This girl, her name is Julianne Kopke. And um, it's a German word that I'm probably not pr- pronouncing correctly. And uh, in the documentary I watched about her, literally nobody called her Julianne. It was like Juliana and all kinds of other things. Oh. So. Okay. I'm going to call her Julianne because I'm from America and that's how her name is. That's how we pronounce that name anyway. Um, so her father was a German national and he wanted to go to South America to study the jungle. So he literally hid himself in a cargo of salt. Like he dug into a giant thing of salt and was a stowaway across the Atlantic Ocean. He got to South America, and then he walked across the entire continent on foot to make it to Peru. So. When was this? (laughs) Well, Julianne was 17 in the early 70s. So this was her dad when he was younger. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Then I was like, gotta be a time when like air travel's not a thing. Well, air travel was a thing, but it was another time. Well, just for sure. Right. Just not like as accessible. A little cheaper to fly in a big thing of salt or travel in a big thing of salt. Salt. What must that have been like? I was about to say, like, I feel like that would have really hurt. Like, he was in there for a while. Like, he hid himself in a cargo shipment of salt. He, like, had to dig into it and get his body into it and um, hide. And just the fact that he also, like, walked across the continent yeah, to make it to Peru. Um, it just, I think it, it's... It, it it will become obvious why later in the story that I bothered to tell you this crazy story about her dad. 
I wonder who got that salt. I know. They were like, this tastes a little weird. Mm. It's German. I mean, I guess salt. (laughs) I mean, I was going to say, like, the most, (laughs) if like a sweaty human was hiding in a thing of salt, the most they would do is make it more salty. (laughs) So I don't know. Good cover. Very clever. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, so her dad did become a researcher who was studying the Amazon. He got married, uh, and had a lovely daughter named Julianne with his lovely wife. And they lived in a hut in the middle of the Peruvian rainforest. And they had a sort of a like Re- outdoor researchers dream life they lived in a hut um they loved the jungle julianne grew up homeschooled and you know she had a toucan i mean this is like a homeschooler dream dream life a dream yeah her parents just loved her so much and their entire life was like spent among the native people to the land and they were just a part of it and they were living, living it up, researching things all the time. Um, It was said of Julianne that she moved about like a native Indian. (laughs) That was what it was like. She, you know, that's how she grew up was barefoot outside in the rainforest. And uh, like I said, the, she had a pet toucan. She was very comfortable there, but because do you mean, do you mean the sidekick? Yes. She had a toucan sidekick. She did. <laughs> um, so just imagine like a more blonde. I imagine a more blonde Georgia. That's what I'm seeing when I yeah, tell the story. Go. <laughs> okay. So she really wanted to become a researcher like her parents. So she was going to need a college degree, which meant she was going to need a more traditional high school degree. So she they took her to a German high school that was in Peru, which that as I was like reading about Ooh. this, I was like, what? That's a thing. Yes. There was a German high school in Peru. Her parents took her because she, again, wanted to do what they were doing, wanted all the degrees and to be doing the research and things like that. So it's Christmas of 1971 Christmas Eve and her mom had taken her let her kind of do the whole like high school experience which meant they weren't living you know out in the forest they were traveling a bit across peru to make this education happen and so on christmas eve 1971 she and her mom were trying to catch a flight home home being a smaller village in peru outside of the city it was going to be about a 60 minute flight so you know, it's, you know, it's about 300 miles away. And uh, it was really, really hard to get a flight this night because it was stormy and it was rainy and flights were being canceled. And they were um, trying to fly on an airline called Lanza, which I had never heard of before. Um, Apparently it doesn't exist anymore. Um, But I learned all of this from watching a documentary called Wings of Hope done by Werner Herzog, who I don't know if you guys know him, but he's a director. I have only I only knew him because of he was in The Mandalorian. 
<laughs> I watched the first season oh, of The Mandalorian. That's right. That's right. I totally forgot he was in the Mandalorian. I think of him as just more for his like very weird foreign beige toned. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, again, I saw him. I had no idea who this guy was. And then I see him in the documentary and I was like, hey, that's the dude from the Mandalorian. But apparently he's like some very well revered director from yeah. decades mm-hmm. past. I had no clue. So Warner Herzog around the same time in 1971 was was making a film in the Peruvian rainforest. And he heard this girl's story and he decides to make a documentary about the story that I'm about to tell you. And what's so funny is if you watch Wings of Hope, which is free on YouTube, um, he hated the airline Lanza. Um, I really think this documentary was more about how horrible Lanza was than actually this woman who fell out of this plane. Um, but if you watch it, it is just like he takes great pains to go over the faults of Lanza. And if you He's watch canceling it, canceling them. Yes. <laughs> this is where you find out that the mechanics that worked on this plane had only ever worked on motorcycles before. <laughs> and Julianne's dad had even told his wife and daughter, don't fly Lanza because they had had two plane crashes recently like before 1971, like around that time. So um, not only that, but Werner Herzog was supposed to be on the flight that I'm about to tell you about. He missed it because it was hard to get on the flight because like I said, it was Christmas Eve and everybody was training at home. This flight was going from Lima, Peru to a place called Percalpa, Peru, which is like I said, the small place that they lived in. So Werner Herzog would have been dead. (laughs) Because this plane crashes and Julianne is the only one who survives. And so when Werner Herzog finds this out, because he really tried really hard to get on this flight, he decides to find her and make this documentary. And it's so interesting. What the heck? So let me tell you how this woman survives falling out of an airplane and then 12 days alone with horrible injuries in the Amazon rainforest. So it's like I said, it's Christmas Eve, 1971. Um, The plane that is about to go down, but no one knows that is seven hours late and the motorcycle mechanics are working on it (laughs) because Lanza, Lanza is bad. So 17 year old Julianne and her mother are trying to get home. They get on the plane, which they were very excited about because they were going to be home for Christmas And Julianne is seated in seat 19F, which was a window seat. Her mom was in the middle. And then a large man sits in the aisle seat and immediately falls asleep. Julianne says that the first 25 minutes of the flight were totally normal. But all of a sudden, they enter into this really heavy, dark cloud. She says that her mother started getting anxious, but she she liked flying. So she was just having a good time. However... 10 minutes after that, it was obvious that something was going really, really wrong. There was heavy turbulence. The plane was jumping up and down. And all of a sudden, like luggage and Christmas cakes and presents are flying all over the cabin. That's how bad the turbulence is. Then she says that she saw lightning around the plane and she got really scared. 
at this point, she people are screaming, it's that bad. She and her mom are holding hands, but they couldn't speak because they were so terrified. And then another 10 minutes goes by and she says she was seated in 19F, which is like pretty much right over the the wing of the plane. And she looks out the window and she says, I saw a very bright light on the outer engine on the left. And my mother said very calmly, this is the end. It's all over. And then the lights cut out. So there's this big thunder or lightning bolt. Her mom tells her it's all over. The lights cut out. And then the plane is in a complete nosedive. So it's pitch black. She's in a nosedive. She can't see anything. People are screaming. And the engines are really, really loud. And then all of a sudden, no sound whatsoever. Like the lights go out, lots of screaming, engine, and then nothing. And she says the next thing that she knows is she realizes that she is just strapped to her seat flying through the air. And she says in the documentary, it was not so much that I had left the plane, but the plane had left me. So now she's spiraling. She's strapped to a chair. She's spiraling face down. And all she can see coming towards her is trees. It's just green. She describes it as just like green trees spiraling towards her. And then she's having a hard time breathing, obviously. I mean... (laughs) Do I have to add that? (laughs) Um, And she passes out. And then she wakes up Christmas morning, strapped to her seat on the floor of the Amazon rainforest. (laughs) And um, she's kind of in and out of consciousness at this point. And it took about 24 hours of being in and out of consciousness before she like unstraps herself from her seat and looks around and she is alone in the rainforest. And yes, she fell two miles out of the sky and she was still alive. So she's like not even near, she's not even with the wreckage and like the wreckage, which doesn't exist. Essentially the plane just the, disintegrated. The plane disintegrated in air and the wreckage is strewn over miles of the rainforest. Like the plane did not come down in one piece. That's how she was strapped to her seat just flying through the air because the plane just fell apart. It might have been the motorcycle mechanics. I don't know. <laughs> but don't fly Lanza. Is the moral of this? I don't think they exist anymore. I've never heard of Lanza in my life (laughs) yeah no but um you can listen to her talk about this because she will say like the question is like how did she survive that fall like why it doesn't it doesn't make any sense Mm -mm. and so some of the the three things that she says contributed that she thinks is that the so she was falling in the middle of a storm and she's like you know in in those kinds of very intense storms there are very like dramatic um upwards air currents yeah so she contributes it to 
the dramatic upward air current and then the fact that she was spiraling down. So when she describes her fall, she's not free falling. She was spiraling and she believes that it's possible that for the first part of this fall, she was still kind of attached to the wing because she was still attached to her chair. So she was attached to something and she thinks Mm. that the reason she was spiraling was because she was attached to a wing and that might have like helped slow the fall for a bit and then the tall trees and the dense vines where she she returns to the crash site um in this Warner Herzog documentary and it is extremely extremely dense like the vines yeah. and the trees and all that so i mean it's still absolutely insane it's still absolutely like like i wouldn't want to yeah. try it yeah it sounds like an angel carried her down there yes (laughs) like when she passed out that was when a miracle happened (laughs) yes okay so she lays under the pieces of wreckage that were around her for a little while there it's not like there's really much for much there but she's like i said in and out of consciousness and when she's finally conscious she is realizing like what happened and um, she had a very, very, very severe concussion, obviously. Um, yeah. She's she's looking around and it's hard to look around because her left eye is completely swollen shut. And she says she could hardly see through a narrow slit on her right eye. So her face is not okay. Um, she only had one shoe and she had been wearing a sleeveless mini dress and also she needs glasses and obviously her glasses are gone so yeah she's not in good shape she can't see very well it gets worse her right clavicle was horribly fractured but she was in so much shock she couldn't feel it and then i will only mildly describe this but she had a massive and deep cut taking up the entirety of her calf that was so bad that it wasn't even bleeding because essentially it was just like there was a canyon in her leg. And she was staring at it like, why isn't that bleeding? That doesn't make any sense. She doesn't really come back to that. But anyway, it was it was a really bad injury. So um, she can't walk. She can't really see. Like I said, she's got broken this and that and a very severe concussion. And uh, she says she was wearing a sleeveless mini dress because that was the fashion at the time. But obviously, the absolutely worst thing to be wearing if you're going to try to survive the Amazon jungle. True. (laughs) Um, So she starts crawling around to search for her mother, obviously. Um, But she knew. I mean, she, she says she mentally knows that her mom was dead, but... She had to search anyway. Well, like in a way, it's like if I somehow made made it, could could I don't know. But yes. yeah, I mean, just like horrible. Yes. So she's crawling around, she's searching, she's obviously not finding anybody. Um, she does find a what she calls a Christmas cake. And she tried to eat it, but it had been sitting in the dirt for so long at this point. It had like absorbed all this dirt and mud. So she like threw it away, but she's about to really miss it over the coming week. Um, and yeah, wish that she well. hadn't. Um, so in her kind of like 
canvassing of her area the best that she can do, limping, crawling, she comes across a row of seats that had fallen. And this row, the three seats, when they hit the ground, they had made an imp- they had gone three feet into the ground upon impact. And um the bodies that were strapped to the seats were strapped to the seats. And she couldn't tell if any of them was her mom or not, but she had to know. She said like for her own, like, what if one of them is my mom? I have to know. Mm-hmm. And so she took off one of the, she could tell one was a woman. So she took off the woman's shoe and the the woman had painted toenails and she was like, that's when I knew it wasn't my mom because my mom had never painted her toenails in her whole life. So she decided, okay, everyone's dead. Um, I have to get out of here if I'm going to live. So this is where it becomes incredibly important that she was a homeschool woodpecker who knew how to survive this exact forest. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If she was a tourist, like, I don't, I mean, it sounds like it's already about to be pretty, uh, just miraculous but (laughs) this is where like if she was me i would be dead (laughs) like this is where um we know that yes like i would not have survived this okay so the first thing she does because this is what you know if you are into survival skills is to follow the water so she's like because if you think about it, water flows into water and small little rivulets follow yeah. into tributaries, into rivers, into where people can live. So yeah. she realizes as she's been kind of wandering around that she's been hearing this, the sound of running water. But because she's so disoriented, like I said, horrible concussion, all this stuff, she hasn't quite like realized Oh, that's water. So she's like, okay, I'm going to follow. I'm going to find the sound. So she finds a natural spring and then she starts walking along the spring, which turns into a rivulet, which turns into eventually a river. So she starts to follow the river and she's walking in the river at this point. Um, And it's so interesting listening to her talk about it because she has an incredible wealth of knowledge, obviously. Um, And she said the one thing that you have to worry about in the water was actually uh, manta rays. I would have thought it would have been a million other things. But she knew that she had to watch out for the manta rays because they have poisonous stingrays. And so she finds a big stick. And basically the trick is that you like walk and you poke the ground in front of you. So if there's a manta ray, you, you know, will feel it or stop it or whatever. So she is limping downstream. And basically during the day, she's walking along the river. And then at night, she goes up. This goes on for days. She walks up um, to the river bank, tries to get as warm as possible, puts some like mud on her and stuff, passes out for a while and keeps going. She does say Which, like, I don't. Like, I feel like most of us have very little idea what it's like to be. So, you know, for those of you that are like animals, poisonous things, critters, all that stuff. 
just even being somewhere that's so dark that you can't see anything like that alone can drive someone insane. Just insane. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's crazy because when she talks about it, she, she says that she really wasn't that hungry. She was drinking a ton of water. Mm-hmm. She was drinking crazy amounts of water. She reports not being that hungry. We're talking like it's day five that she's been limping with a broken clavicle and a concussion and all kinds of other wounds that she doesn't even know about yet um, by herself down a river. And she can hear the, the plane, the, there's a, there's search and rescue going on. So she can hear the planes. She can see them going overhead. They can't see her because the forest is so thick Mm -hmm. that they can't see her. So she's, she says she's getting really mad um, because she can hear them and they're close, but there's really no main crash site because the plane disintegrated in air. So it's just strewn all over. Um, She said at night, you know, she'd be swarmed by bugs and she would just do her best to stay warm. She had a watch that she had been using to keep track of time because she knew it was important to know how many days have passed. Um, And on the fourth day, her watch stops of course um she can't really hunt or fish because she doesn't have any tools or weapons and um her wounds you know they start festering and she's like really starting to get super exhausted and so there comes a point on the fifth or sixth day she's not sure which day where she decides she's just gonna have to float down the river because she can't walk anymore and she's just gonna have to get in the middle of the river and float with the current And she said at one point, she's so exhausted. She's in so much pain. She's so out of it that she looks over and she sees large crocodiles on the river bank. She's floating. She's just laying there on her back, floating down the river because she can't walk anymore. And she sees these crocodiles and they, they see her and she sees them see her and they get in the water. And she said she wasn't going to do anything because that's how apathetic she was at this point. It was like, well, maybe I'm going to get eaten by crocodiles. There's actually nothing I can do about it right now. Um, right. They never they never attacked her. They got in the water. They kind of checked her out. They left her alone. No explanation. Well, it could be actually what I'm about to say, which was that on day 10, she looks at her upper right arm and discovers that the large gash on her upper right arm is actually filled um, with maggots. So that's good. That's really good. So the, we're on day 10 now. I mean, that might be why the criminals <laughs> didn't eat her. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds gross too, but like they do eat. It could be part of why she even lived. Yeah. Just because they can they eat like infected yeah. tissue and yeah. things like that. I yep. mean, I don't know how picky crocodiles are when it comes to meat, but for whatever reason, <laughs> there we were. Maybe they were full. So, um, Praise God for full yes. crocodiles. <laughs> so on day 10 or 11, she, 
sits down on the riverbank and that is just such a long amount of time (laughs) that is just like that is that is an amount of time where you would be like how am i not dead like how did i not just naturally die yes yes well she kind of so did she basically floated down the river for days yes yes she floated down the river for days Wow. And she doesn't she doesn't know what day it is, but it's day 10 or 11 and she sits down on the riverbank and she doesn't really she can't really explain what's going on because she's so out of it. But she says that she's sitting there and it takes her a long time, but she realizes that what she's staring at is a boat. She's staring at a boat. <laughs> she's sitting on the riverbank staring at a boat. So she looks around and she sees a little hut up off the riverbank and she doesn't know anything other than, oh, this looks like, you know, something a person made. So she goes into the hut and she lays down because there's a place to lay and she lays down in the hut and then she sees what she knows for sure is a poisonous frog. This is one of them like, you know, rainforest frogs that is absolutely mm-hmm. going to kill you. And yeah. she didn't care. She was going to try to catch one and eat it. But she's so out of it that like she's trying to like reach for it and she really can't and they keep getting away from her. And so after a while she gives up and she just lays down and passes out. She was just like, okay, well, this is, this is where I die. This is it. (laughs) She wakes up because eventually she hears the sound of voices. So she gets up, she stumbles out of the hut and she says, when they saw me, they were alarmed and stopped talking. (laughs) I mean, I imagine I can understand why she says, They thought I was a kind of a water goddess, a figure from a local legend who is the hybrid of a water dolphin and a blonde, white-skinned woman. That has fallen from the sky. Yes. I mean, but she went ahead and introduced herself in Spanish and explained what had happened. They treated my wounds and gave me something to eat. And the next day they took me back to civilization. So they took care of her. They just were like, okay. And they fed her and they cleaned her festering wounds. And they were like, we're going to take you, you know, to get help. And it was the very next day that she got to see her dad. He was already in the area with the search party and he was there. And it had been, you know, almost two weeks at this point. And he was still with the search and rescue team. She said he could barely talk. And the first moment we just held each other. Um, so unfortunately, you know, she says for the next couple of days, they kept searching. Um, so remember, the plane went down the evening of Christmas Eve. And unfortunately, on January 12th, they found her mother's body. Um, no one else survived the crash, obviously. Um, and... This this part is the really, oh, this part kills me. She says that later she found out that her mom also survived the fall, uh, but she was badly injured and couldn't move. She died several 
days later. So she and her mom both survived the fall, but her mom's wounds were so much worse that she couldn't even, you know, crawl around and get help. Well, I was going to say that's a, I mean, just her ability to walk your ink, the ability to walk your survival increases. I mean, like you just dramatically. There are people who don't, there are people who don't fall from the sky. There are people who just sprain their ankle, hurt their foot, and can't walk and die in the forest just because right. they can't get where they need to go. Like, right. that's, oh, man. Right. So, um, unfortunately, so let me tell you a little bit about life after for her. So, obviously, this is an like, incredible survival story. And, you know, I just... The reason why I tell the story about her dad at the beginning is just to say, like, he hid himself in a cargo shipment of salt and walked across an entire continent to get what he wanted. Um, And I just think, like, most of us don't have that kind of grit. And then just hearing her story, that's like a whole other level of grit that you just like. Yeah, that's so intense. Um, But. She had a hard time after the crash because it was she was like a media sensation for the 70s. Um, and this one article I read said that she was not always portrayed in a sensitive light. And I don't really understand why. Like, I don't know why the media oh. would be. Um, I, I haven't been able to understand or untangle even from watching the documentary and reading about it. Like, why? why why would i don't know um Hmm. she was really close with her mom so that was really hard she had a lot of recurring nightmares um and but she moved on with her life she was 17 when this happened she ended up doing what she wanted to do the whole reason she was going to that german high school in peru in the first place she wanted to study biology she got her doctorate in biology Um, in Germany. And then after she finished her doctorate, she came back to Peru and was researching mammalogy. Um, She got married. Uh, She had a full life and she did exactly what she said she wanted to do. Um, And then it was in 1998 that Werner Herzog uh, wanted to do the film about her because it had never Mm -hmm. left him when she was... um, trying to survive in this rainforest he was 30 miles away filming i can't even remember what film but he was filming a film 30 miles away and um it just always like stuck with him that he was supposed to be on that flight and so he wanted to document and um it was really interesting yeah, because- in, a, in a weird way he's like almost the only other survivor of right that. right yeah yeah yeah, and he was super he was super interested in it. And um I guess the whole like documentary she says was like kind of therapeutic for her. Like they even when he they he takes her back to the crash site and everything, but he even like sits her in when they they fly um in the documentary, he has her sit in seat 19F, which was like the seat that you know, she had been in and she's just talking about like, I don't know, she called it like giving her closure. She felt like it was closure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just the the question of there's even in Kapalka, which is the area where the 
kind of the area where the crash had happened and all that. Like they have a monument. Like it's a big local story. She's still to this day like a big local story. Um, and part of her closure was making the documentary. Um, so that's that's Julianne. Well, her last name is now Diller. I feel like I'm probably pronouncing that wrong too, but her last name is now <laughs> Diller. Julianne, Julianne Diller, the woman who fell two miles out of the sky. Wow. You didn't know that one? I thought you, I would have been like, she I knows didn't. this story. No? No. Okay. No. I mean, I've heard some, I've heard stories about people surviving in the jungle, the rainforest. I've heard, I have heard stories of like some plane crash stuff, but no, I have not ever heard that one. That's crazy. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. I don't, like, I don't even, it, if anything, it probably helped her to go do, see everything again, because in some weird way, it probably felt like that couldn't have possibly been real, other than the fact that her mom was gone, and I'm sure she had some physical right evidence of it but other than that it's probably like i just made that up you know yeah i don't i mean yeah i mean she was super out of it she did have a horrible concussion again and and um some of the she's got like gaps in her storytelling of it because obviously she was barely alive i mean if you're floating down a river about to let a crocodile eat you you know you've reached a whole different level of yeah, if you're floating okay. down a river in the rainforest and you're just like, this is the only way, then you've you've accepted quite a bit about yeah. your situation. <laughs> yeah. You're at the there is no other option <laughs> moment of your life. <laughs> Tangentially, I was watching Alone and the thing I love about Alone is that people they're just like talking to a camera that they set up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, you know, they've been alone for like 50 days. So their thoughts, they talk to the camera because it's their only friend. And the guy was like, if you don't do this, you're stupid. You're a failure. Da, 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 da. <laughs> if he, and he's like coming up with all these crazy scenarios. He's like, if you don't do this, then you're, and just like fill in the blank and my husband was like that is so a man's inner monologue it's like if you don't do this thank you like that's how you talk to yourself like you do this else and it's just really funny and i just don't relate to that at all because i'm not a man no 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 i don't think i'd be like well i guess i don't know what i would do (laughs) I'll let you know if I ever have to endure. I hope you don't ever have to let me know. Yeah. Being nearly dead for, for two weeks. That's just, that's insane. I don't like, uh, I don't even think your brain could process. Mm -mm. Like, obviously you were saying she passed out before Mm -hmm. she hit the ground. And I'm like, I get it's probably had to do with oxygen and all this stuff. But also just I think that's one of those moments where your brain's like, you know, we're just going to shut this off because nope. I don't even know nope. what yeah. what we're like. We don't know what this is, what our eyes are seeing right now. We yeah. don't even know what this is. 
So yes, I love. I had a friend like shut it down. (laughs) Yes, I had a friend like explain to me like I don't remember how we got onto this, but she was explaining to me like the physiology of passing out, like why, why does your body like literally pass you out? Mm -hmm. And it's it's a survival mechanism. Yeah. It's a survival yeah. mechanism. And obviously, yes, it has to do with like you're not breathing or your blood pressure or all this kind of heart things. Yeah. All kinds of things can make you pass out. But the vast majority of the time, it's your body making sure you live and you survive. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was just like super, that was super interesting. And yes, that's <laughs> that's why she passed out. It was survival. I know. It's crazy. Man. Anyway, wow. well. Julianne, if any of you don't fly Lanza, um, if you're a motorcycle mechanic, don't work on airplanes unless you've been certified to work on yeah, airplanes. Yeah, please just, you know. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, uh, it's these moments where we might be prone to complain about some sort of like American Airline Association nurse, like some you know like all of our regulatory agencies it's like well you know say what you will have your opinions at the very least there is someone making sure your airplane was not built by a motorcycle mechanic (laughs) so has your plane ever disintegrated around you no okay then shut up just shut up (laughs) shut up (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i was gonna say if you're the next time you get delayed, the, listen to this podcast. But I would also say don't listen to this podcast before you get on a plane. No, <laughs> no. I should put uh-huh. that. I should put that disclaimer on this episode. Do not listen. Right. If you're yeah. at an airport. <laughs> Warning: If you happen to be flying, if you're in seat 19. F, this episode is not for you. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> well, yeah. So next week I get to tell you guys a story. Mine's. I don't even know what it is. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to be surprised. Yeah. I'm shooting from the hip a little bit with this one. It's not, it's not my typical. Oh, so, you know, one time you told a story about glitter and people, it really, we got a (laughs) lot of emails about that. So I'm excited. I don't know where you're going to take this, but, um, well, I think that's what I mean is like, I'm not gonna, I don't have a, it's not like weird. I think that's where, what I mean by, cause usually I try to mix it up a little bit, but I think it's going to be more like traditional true crime. Um, Which you know, is weird added, for you. Yeah. With <laughs> added commentary. But this is this, whenever you say story telling episodes, specifically like true crime, whatever that sort of vein i always think of the story and i never do it so we're just oh. gonna do it oh yep mm-hmm. okay i'm on the edge of my seat okay. and then for those of you guys that are listening typically whenever we do storytelling episodes we do like two episodes together but we're not doing that no so summer actually has to wait too i do have she, to wait like we're we're in the wait with you guys that's what i'm saying Fine. Ugh. Okay. Well, Bye. you guys, you can leave us a voicemail four seven zero four six five zero four seven five. Don't forget to join us at patreon.com slash theologians. And we'll see y'all next week. See ya. Oh, blessed be the Lord, my strength, who trained my hands for war.
and trains my fingers for the fight. A fortress is my Lord. He is my steadfast love and my deliverer, my tower. Subdue with peoples under me, my shield in whom I trust.